You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 5, Episode 2, The Symbolic World with Jonathan Pajot. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Kilns College. Can encountering God through your creative process change the world? Absolutely. Kilns College offers an affordable one-year online graduate certificate in theology, arts, and culture. Connect with creatives from all over the world exploring restorative justice through the arts. Visit kilnscollege.org to learn more. I see the artists as the ones who give people the shape of the world, who help people see what the world is like. And so the art that will make a difference from now on, I think, is the art that does that. Jonathan Pajot is a professional artist, writer, and public speaker. He lectures in universities, conferences, and other venues around North America. He speaks on art and the symbolic structures that underlie our experience of the world. Through his YouTube channel and podcast, The Symbolic World, Jonathan furthers his conversation on symbolism, meaning, and patterns in everything from movies to icons to social trends. Jonathan is the editor and a contributor for the Orthodox Arts Journal, which looks at the revival and significance of liturgical art today. As an artist, Jonathan is one of the only professional icon carvers in North America, taking on institutional and personal art commissions from all over the world. You can view his works on his website, which is linked in the show notes of this episode. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Jonathan, featuring a surrealist depiction of St. Christopher and the topic of beauty and the cult of ugly. This is my conversation with icon carver and artist Jonathan Pajot. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. It's a real honor to have you on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, I've been following your work, and I'm really excited to have this conversation, and uh, I really appreciate what you do both as an artist and in your work for cultural commentary. Yeah, it's been a strange few years. I never thought that I'd be making YouTube videos discussing movie symbolism or something like that, but uh, here I am. That's life. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, for some of our listeners that may not be as familiar with your work, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing? Well, I'm mostly, I would say, I'm an um, icon carver, which means that I carve images in the uh, tradition of Orthodox iconography. Um, I take my inspiration mostly from that tradition, but also from Western medieval art and the Western medieval tradition. Um, but my clients, you know, I work on commission, and my clients are churches and individuals who who want to order those images. So that's mostly what I do. But then out of that, I also started to try to understand patterns in storytelling, patterns in imagery, patterns in how things lay themselves out. And uh, I've, I've written quite a bit on the symbolism of icons and how it relates to scripture and to liturgy and to architecture, all of those things together. And then recently that has, let's say, bubbled over into speaking in general about symbolism in the Bible and in stories and then finally in popular culture as well. And so I have this strange group of atheists and post-atheists, I would say, who are watching my videos and listening to my podcast, and I'm engaging with them in that manner. Well, the symbolism 
is really what drew me to your work and really drew me to want to have this conversation because here on Makers and Mystics, a lot of what we discuss is the relationships between art and faith and then more largely art, faith, and culture. And when I think of symbolism, I think of it both as the language of the spirit, if you will, and also the language of the artist. And so with you being, you know, the wood carver and, and doing this work with icons, and then also just working in both religious symbolism and then some of the symbolism in pop culture, which we'll get to in a little bit, I've just been really curious to hear your take on on symbolism and how that affects both the life of the artist and the life of followers of Christ or those interested in religion. Well, I think that the perspective that I take is the perspective that the world exists through meaning. You know, and I, I really take this story in Genesis as describing the origin of reality. That is, that it originates through meaning, through language, through uh, encountering, you know, the potential of the world, and then uh, that connection, let's say, between the name of something, its manifestation, the way in which things, the best way to, to describe it is the way that things come together. The word symbol actually means that. It means the place where two things come together. And I think that that's how I view symbolism, as really has the way the world lays itself out. So, first of all, in terms, in basic t terms, we, we often think it's obvious that objects or concepts have borders and we think that that's an obvious thing but it's not that obvious there's an, a pen let's say is made of a multiple amount of elements but then somehow those things come together and give us the experience of one thing which is the pen and then so that basic interaction with reality which is how the multiple comes to be one then can extend itself out into higher let's say, higher levels of manifestation in terms of community, in terms of how we, we view our family as one, our community, the church as one, but then also stories, also uh, patterns of action in terms of liturgy or just in terms of how we interact with the world. And so, to me, that is really what symbolism is. It's really the patterns by which reality kind of lays itself out. And so, although it does find its highest form, let's say, in scripture and in religion, it's like a hierarchy, you could say. And so, the same patterns then flow out and are the ones that hold together our families, our experience of the home, our experience of, of nature. All of these things are held together by the same patterns uh, that are revealed to us in scripture. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the creation narrative, and I know that that's one story from the Bible that you've dealt with a lot in your videos. And I'm curious, tell me why you feel like that the creation narrative of the Bible is an important story to understanding our human experience in modern times. Well, one of the things, especially about Scripture, is we, we really have to see it almost, we have to see it differently. We, we have to understand how the you can see it like this you can see that there's a seed and in that seed is contained all the patterns of the tree mm -hmm. and then the actual tree lays itself out slowly and you start to see the pattern unfold and then you see the multiplicities of that basic pattern and that's how scripture works and so the the creation narrative 
because it is the first story in the Bible, and it's also the first story of reality. It's the story which describes the origin of, of reality. It therefore contains all the other patterns in the Bible in an implicit way, you could say. And so we really need to be constantly be diving back into that story, diving back into it and seeing how it describes the world and how that description of the world, then you can find it unfold in other stories of scripture and other stories of the Bible. And so that's why the Genesis creation story is the one that I tend to go to all the time. I, I, I have two poles when I talk about symbolism. I have the pole, the beginning pole and the end pole, you could say. So creation and Christ. And then I'm always trying to show how all those patterns that have their seed in the creation narrative then find their full, let's say, full resolution in the, in the incarnation That's beautiful. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is the work that you've done with Pentecost for the zombie apocalypse, because we're talking about the beginning and then, (laughs) you know, (laughs) jumping straight to the end. Yeah. Uh, That was one of the more fascinating concepts that I heard. And immediately when I saw the title, I was drawn to it. But tell me some about what that means to you, the Pentecost for the zombie apocalypse. And if you could tell me why that idea is important for where we are right now in our culture. Yeah, I think in the in scripture we find and in the in traditional patterns in both in terms of images and in terms of stories there are certain aspects which show us the margin of something which show us the fringe or show us you know how something comes to its end. And so you see it in the first uh narrative of creation to the flood and if you follow that story, you have basically a little world that contains all the possibilities. And then that world then kind of repeats itself in other places in the Bible. And so to understand that is to understand our world. The reason why is that right now around us, our world is manifesting the images of what I would call the end. Now, I'm not a... I'm not an apocalyptic person in the sense that we people tend to think, like in terms of the kind of fire and brimstone type uh, uh, people who interpret revelations, but I see it rather in terms of patterns. Now, it's, it seems pretty clear that we're reaching the end of something. Now, is it the end of the entire world? I don't know, but for sure it is the end of something. And you can see it in the the preponderance of certain tropes, which is this obsession we have with desire, the obsession we have with death, the obsessions that we have with hybridization, with mixture, with confusion, but also the opposite with extreme purity and extreme uh, airtight categories. All of that, all of that shows us this problem of reaching the end. And so, Pentecost for the Zombie Apocalypse is trying to. Show Because the problem we've got right now is that we live in a materialistic world. We live in a world that has so given itself up to a kind of quantitative leveling of meaning that we are incapable of seeing the patterns anymore. We're incapable of seeing this kind of how reality lays itself out in a hierarchy, in a, in a regular pattern. And so the only way for me to show it to people, it seems like it's because we're at the edge, because we're in a world where things are falling apart, is not to show people so much, at least right away, not show them the center, not show them the heart, not show them the Holy of Holies, but to show them these garments of skin, to show them the giants, the monsters, everything that happens on the edge, and to say, look, look at, look around us, notice everything is upside down, notice we're obsessed with mixture, with, with uh, chaos and all of this. And so, once you've shown people that, then you can say, this this is part of the pattern 
And there is an answer to that. And Christ has given us a way to deal with that or a positive answer to that. And so mm-hmm. the zombie is the ultimate example of that. It's, there are several sociologists that have been doing very good work on, on the zombie as a manifestation of the breakdown of meaning in culture. They mm-hmm. even go as far as to say that it's literally the breakdown of the Christian narrative in, in our culture. We're watching the breakdown of the Christian narrative through the zombie narrative because it is a kind of parody of the resurrection. It is also this breakdown of all the elements that civilization gives us. You know, we, I won't go through the list, but everybody knows what a zombie looks like. You know, it, it doesn't have, it's, it doesn't have agency. It only, it's only a pure desire. It only, it only wants to devour. And it also, has it's a it becomes idiosyncratic as it decomposes and so it's this kind of living death that we experience and we somehow intuitively know that that's where we are that the image of the zombie is manifesting something very deep about what's happening in our culture as we watch the social fabric around us dissolve as we don't know our own neighbors as we you know as we live in in massive suburbs that have no center that are just a sprawl of houses without anything to tell us that we're somewhere and so all of these different little manifestations take story form in the the zombie story and so the answer to that is pentecost and why is it pentecost (laughs) (laughs) it's pentecost because pentecost is the promise that Christ gave us, that he, you know, that the fire of the world, let's say, as we we go into multiplicity, as we encounter all the strange things, all the strange things at the edge, you know, the, the foreigner that we don't understand, the, the, uh, the language that we don't understand, as we kind of move out into the world, that the Spirit will follow us. And it, it's echoed in the promise that Christ made, made to us that he will be with us until the end of the world, till the edge of the, uh, the end of the age. Uh, and I always say that he, it, it also means until the edge of the, of the world itself. If you imagine kind of in a, in a traditional manner, like at the edge of the world, there are monsters and, and, uh, and chaotic, you know, le- the Leviathan and all these, these type of imagery of dragons and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so that, and so Pentecost is the possibility of moving out into, the outer darkness, but to bring with us the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so that has been, to me, the, the way to talk, to address this problem of what's going on around us. Well, it's, it's interesting to me, taking the zombie as a metaphor or as a symbol, I mean, it really, when you explain it that way, it really does make so much sense to me. But taking that idea to a much broader question you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that symbolism really is the language of the artist. It's the language of the novelist. It's the language of the painter. It's also the language of the mystic in some ways. You know, it explains those invisible realities that you're talking about or the more interior realities. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are for the role of the artist in this cultural moment, and particularly perhaps the artist of faith, like what do you what do you see the role of the artist being in this time? Well, if you look at the decisions that I made in terms of of art, um, you know, I decided to go into a very communal type of art, which is that my purpose, let's say, in what I'm doing is to reinvigorate this language itself to reinvigorate the language itself 
Because we, the problem with art is right now, not th- there are many problems, but one of the problems <laughs> with art right now is that we have reduced it to a kind of vague poetic sense of expressing yourself, like a, a kind of vague poetic sense that we can kind of do whatever we feel like, that we kind of go with the flow and we express things in a very loose and vague way. And I'm not saying there isn't a little bit of a role for that, but the way that I approach art is in a far more grounded manner. That is, I see the artist as the ones who give people the shape of the world, who help people see what the world is like, how the world is actually made. And so that also includes, let's say, problems with art right now is that it all it has also been reduced to aesthetic experience. That is, mm-hmm. it has become a form of entertainment, uh, sometimes very sophisticated entertainment, but entertainment nonetheless. Whereas mm-hmm. I see art very much in a, in a traditional sense. Uh, the word art actually means the the way in which things are brought together. It's actually very similar to what the word symbol means in, in Greek, but ours in, in Latin refers to how things are fit together properly. And so it's so the artist is that's what the artist does. The artist fits things together properly for the world to be able to see beauty and to be able to see meaning and beauty and and something which shows you that the world is not just this crazy uh, chaotic place but rather that it moves towards something which is unified and can move and that ultimately is anagogic that is it it can can ultimately give us a sense of the divine logos of how god created the world um you know not directly but in an indirect manner we can get glimpses of how god calls forth being you know through meaning and calls forth kind of this chaotic potential that we see in the beginning of Genesis into actual things. So that's what I think mm-hmm. that the art that will make a difference from now on, I think, is the, the art that does that. And it means to me connecting with connecting back into the story, diving back into our own Christian symbolism into our own christian imagery understanding those patterns diving into them and then putting them out there for the world to see how beautiful those patterns are you make me think something even about your own work that i noticed that i find uh, really interesting and that is that on the one hand with your wood carvings and and the work that you're doing as an artist you're focused very much on traditional symbols within the Christian faith and and icons and things that would be very familiar in the Christian world. But at the same time, you also use a lot of symbols from pop culture. We already briefly talked about the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but I've seen some of your other videos where you compared the story of Batman with the story of Adam and Eve, which I found fascinating. So when we talk about these traditional symbols or these traditional metaphors within the Christian faith, a lot of times if you're not part of, you know, a faith community, those symbols can be a bit obscure or in some ways I would even say they've they've kind of lost their meaning to the culture at large. But when I see you using these symbols that are familiar, Batman, the zombies, all these things. But inside of that, you're finding a very deep scriptural meaning. I'm curious to know kind of what your take is on using traditional symbolism from the Bible and then also 
the symbolism from our current culture and how, how those things work together to convey the gospel message, I suppose. Yeah, I see, I really see it as a, as a hierarchy in a certain manner. I really do believe that the patterns which, let's say, enliven scripture, the patterns that are, that are in the, in scripture and in the Christian tradition, I, those, I, I think they're the patterns of reality. That is, they really are the patterns not in terms, not reality in scientific terms. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I mean right. reality in the way that we encounter the world. Because the world doesn't lay itself out to us in scientific terms. It lays itself out, which you would call in phenomenological terms. Uh, that is, you know, we, we experience the world in certain ways. We have hierarchies of attention. We have tropes. We have ways to know that a story is beginning, a way to, ways to know that a story is ending. We have ways to understand that an image has an up and a down. We have all these things that are so obvious that we don't even think about them anymore. But we have these, and that's kind of, in Scripture, you have the highest form of those patterns. So, once you're able to dive into those, once you're able to understand them, then you can cast your eye out on, let's say, what I would call kind of entertainment culture, and you can point and you can say, look, these are the the same patterns, because that's how the world is. And so you can you can kind of point people back and you can you can show them that even though we try to avoid religious stories, even though we try to avoid them, we're always falling back into them because they're what we're made of. We're made of these stories. Mm-hmm. And so we keep falling back into them. Now, one of the dangers, and, and I saw it as a danger even as I was doing this, and I actually hesitated for years before doing this, is that a lot of Christians... They want to interpret popular culture in a manner which is to give themselves, let's say, how can I say this, to kind of make it okay for them them to indulge in popular culture. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they want to show that these stories are somehow uh, in line with, with Christ so that they can then enjoy these things. And I have, I have no problem with enjoying popular culture to a certain extent, but we always have to be pointing towards Christ. If we are going to do that, we need to be doing it in a way that points us towards the the essential thing. And so, I, I do believe there is such a thing as a, po- a type of popular culture which could flow out of Christianity. The, the problem we've got now is that we have, in, especially in American culture, we have Christian artists who actually don't know anything about the deep patterns in Scripture. And then they make horrible movies, they make horrible music, they make horrible paintings, because all that's left for them of what Christianity is, is a kind of moralism, or basically an evangelization tool, and so it ends up sounding like propaganda or like proselytization, Um, whereas there's another way to engage culture and to create movies and uh, novels and let's say even you know like gallery paintings which are rather there to dive into these beautiful patterns and show people the beauty of the world like it really is the difference between you know that movie what is it god is not dead and right. a novel by dostoevsky those cannot even be compared they're in two different worlds dostoevsky dives into the nitty-gritty of the human experience and the human pattern and the difficulty of our facing God and and lays it out for the world to see. There, and there are several artists today doing similar things. Just recently, there was a... I don't know if you know the, of the, the novel Loris that was published, I, I think it was about five years ago, by uh, Eugene Vodolaskin, I think his name is. 
anyways, so it's a Christian story. It's a Christian novel, but you get none of the kind of veneer, candy-coated Christianity that you get from a lot of this this kind of Christian fiction that we have to deal with. Do you think that some of what you're saying stems from the way that we do life in the Christian subculture? Because I, at least for me, when I think of the depth of intrinsic beauty and art that is the Christian faith, that is the Christian life. And and when I look at people, you mentioned Dostoevsky and of course Tolkien and all these different figures we could point to, I just see such a, a rich heritage of art expressing the faith. Mm. But at the same time, when I look at our modern uh, subculture uh, surrounding the Christian faith, I see a very, a much narrower view of art and a much narrower expression of what we allow ourselves to engage as far as how art can interpret faith. I think a lot of it has to do with a type of arbitrariness through which we view the world. We we have stopped believing that the world is full of the presence of God in a manner that can manifest itself through the creation itself and how we we engage with the world. And so because of that, we reduce Christianity to a kind of being saved and then a moral frame. It's like you're saved and then you have a moral frame. And then as long as you stay in that moral frame, you're fine. Or then we want extreme kind of Pentecostal type experiences, you know, of, of being connected to God. But all of those, they lack this kind of diving into and seeing how things are connected together. Seeing that the very manner in which things are connected together, that's how God created the world. But even as I say this, I know a lot of people that are listening to what I'm saying right now are going to be saying, what is he talking about? Because we're such <laughs> materialists and we, we think in scientific terms so much that when I talk about how things connect together, people think of atoms and molecules and, and all that. But that's not what I mean. I mean, the manner in which we know, for example, like I said before, that a story is beginning. How do you know that something is a story? Mm-hmm. What is it that makes you know that this is a story, this is the beginning, this is the end, and there's this pattern in between which makes you see that this this holds together as a narrative. Like, that's what I'm talking about, and, and that's the world we actually live in because we build our lives with stories. We come home from work, we tell our wife or our spouse, we tell our spouse the story of our day. It's like, how do they know that that's a story and it's not just a description without connection together? All of that is the manner in which we, that's what I mean by the way in which we engage the world or the way the world manifests itself to us. We'll return to our interview with Jonathan Pajot in just a few moments. But I wanted to take a second and let you know about a free download that I'm offering to our listeners. I just wrote a short book called Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. If you're an artist or a creative and you've been wrestling with fear, comparison to others, or a toxic perfectionism, this book will give you keys on how to break through into a greater creative freedom. Just go to creativitykillers.net or follow the link in the show notes of this episode and download your free copy today, Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. Well, I want to ask you one more question as we're talking about the artist and symbolic meaning. And this will take us back to your analogy earlier of the zombie apocalypse as a symbol for our modern culture. 
Because we're in a moment where at times we seem to be on the border of chaos and everything is changing at a rapid pace and there's a lot of tension and polarization even in the communities of faith. Yeah. So my question is, how can artists contribute to the cultural conversation of our time and through art express the deeper truths of the faith in this sort of apocalyptic atmosphere? I mean, I would tell... I tell people to dive back into our story, to dive back into the the scripture, but not just scripture, but then also the legends that we have, our fairy tales, our um, the stories that have kind of built our world, to dive back in them and to see that as a source of of profound wisdom, and to to move away from the notion that as artists we just have to be. We have to be unique. We have to be different. We have to have our own style. We have to have all of these things. There's nothing wrong with them, but that shouldn't be our purpose. We, it's going to happen. You're going to have your own style. You're going to have your own uniqueness. It's, it's going to happen, but you should want to rather show the world meaning, show people beauty, show people something which will surprise them. And uh, in terms of Christians, I tell people, have beautiful churches. The world is an ugly, ugly place right now. And until t- still today, people, what did, where do tourists go when, they go when they visit cities? They visit churches. Why? Why do they visit churches? Because there's something objective about the traditional beauty of, of, uh, of Christianity. And so, have beautiful churches. Be deliberate about that, you know. Take it seriously. Have beautiful services. Have, uh, you know, and try to go deeper than just the kind of advertisement, uh, you know, music video aesthetic. And, you know, people, the Orthodox, we always have this cliche that we say all the time, but I'll repeat it. It doesn't matter. You know, it was said by Solzhenitsyn during his the receiving uh, his Nobel Prize. He said, beauty will save the world. And a lot of people resonate with that. Because beauty shows us truth, shows us meaning, shows us, you know, how there's hope that things can come together. And so that's, I think, is what we can do. Oh, man, I love the work that you're doing, Jonathan. And I love shining light on on symbolism and, and shining light on the deeper realities of the Christian faith that you're doing. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Stephen. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. You can find links to Jonathan's work in the show notes of this episode, as well as links to the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting their production by going to patreon.com slash makersandmystics and joining our creative collective. We'll see you again next week. Thanks again for listening.